Our goal hasn't changed since 2009. We support, promote, engage, and inspire the arts community by igniting the ghost light that shines on the stages of the up-and-coming, the unsung heroes, the brilliant writers, and the dynamic designers. Stay tuned. Rep Radio is on the air. Welcome to Rep Radio. I'm your host, Darnell Bradford, and today I am in Rep Radio's Studio B, and if you're paying attention, the studio letters will change soon because we have a new permanent location, or a somewhat permanent location, where the studios aren't set up. That does not mean we don't need your support, so <laughs> make contributions continue. Don't worry about how many studios we have. We, have a, we need to pay for all of those studios, so there it is. <laughs> but I'm here today on, uh, on a day that's teasing to be summer. Mm-hmm. I'm here uh, um, looking over a wonderful garden at uh, Studio B, and I'm here with a blast from the past Woo! who is ever-present in our community, <laughs> uh, Kristen Scatton. Kristen, welcome back to Rep Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I don't you. think you've been here since uh, since you took your exit from inside the writer's mind. That's that's correct. I took uh, I took my exit in 2012 when I was starting uh, graduate school, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean at I've, Temple, at Temple right? uh, MFA uh, 2016, Temple University um, in playwriting. Uh, so it was a very busy, very wonderful four years, uh, of my life doing that. Um, and it's, you know, I've seen you around Darnell, we've, we've crossed paths, uh, but I'm super excited to be here today, yeah. uh, on behalf of Revamp Collective. Yes, exactly. Um, yes, you're here for two reasons, because I've been, I feel like, uh, as soon as I make a, a general sort of ask, like, hey, we should come, we should talk about your work. Uh, it takes like a year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, anybody we out there who's it. in limbo right now, don't feel bad. Darnell will get to you. We'll there's get just, to there's, you. It's just the volume of amazing theater that's happening in this that's city. That's very true. You know, true. it does make it hard to keep up with. So, uh, in May alone, I had there were a ton of uh, there were a ton of conversations that I felt an urgency to have mm-hmm. and they all needed to go out same time because they were all opening sure. and closing fairly mm-hmm. quickly uh so it happens like that and throughout our season i i feel like no matter what's going on our season our community does not disappoint no <laughs> no and it never stops and it never you know even Even once the quote-unquote season is over, I mean, even like throughout the summer, there's still still things things going on Mm -hmm. and there's still conversations to be had. So, uh, yeah, thank you for (laughs) for keeping up with all of it. Yeah, it's like beach? What beach? We're we're trying to keep the AC on in here because Mm -hmm. we have a show tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're planning your vacations around shows. Yes. 
Um, so you're here wearing a couple wearing a couple of hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you represent Revamp Collective, which mm-hmm. I've been dying to come have a chat with. And we're also uh, talking about your uh, latest piece, mm-hmm. the Helen Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as soon as I saw those up, I said yes. I know. <laughs> I, I know. I said at the beginning of the season we'd come chat, but I will get there. So we are here. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, we've had, Revamp Collective has had a great season, um, but the Helen Project is our final production of this season, and it is sort of the collectively created project. Mm-hmm. So um, I am the associate artistic director and playwright in residence of Revamp Collective, and so I wrote the Helen Project. Mm-hmm. And Carly Bodner, who is the co-founder and co-artistic director, is directing the piece. Right. Um, and it's really fun and exciting. Um, I don't know if I should just go right into oh, yeah. well, what at, it's about. Well, or first, <laughs> well, first tell me, tell me, tell us about Revamp sure. Collective. Absolutely. Uh, so Revamp Collective uh, was founded in 2014 by Carly Bodner, Aaron Carr, and Meg Trelease, who are three uh, local theater artists, directors, actors, you know, wearing the many hats of theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, they came together through teaching artist work and met each other and identified a lack of opportunities for women uh, and women identified genderqueer, you know, non-binary artists uh, in Philadelphia, both on stage and off. So in all capacities of theater, theater making. And uh, they decided to start a theater company, um, you know, to create those opportunities. Um, I wasn't part of the founding. I was approached about the founding, but mm. as I said, I was in grad school at yeah. the time and was just right. like, I have, I have zero time. Right. To do. I said, get, yeah. get back to me in two years when I'm done. <laughs> and uh, so then in, I joined revamp in 2016 after I had finished grad school. Um, but it started off with some projects here and there. They were part of Ms. Fest, uh, in 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we really sort of started doing a full fledged season in 2016 and you know our mission is resetting the feminist default which means taking that definition of feminism which is very divisive and you know when people think of a feminist they think of this angry man-hating woman who and we're saying no that's actually not what it's about it's not about you know women being the ones in power men being the ones who are oppressed it's about equality Mm -hmm. it's about making sure that people have equal opportunities recognizing intersectionality and the intersection of identities in, that all humans have. Yeah. And, and so, you know, creating opportunities and creating work that supports that mission, um, is extremely important to us and, to, you know, letting people tell their own stories, mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, a lot of theater is about, storytelling and how people it's not our place you know as three or four white women which you know we're all (laughs) white um white women you know recognizing that we can't tell everybody's stories and so we want to create space for other people to tell their stories as well yeah um (laughs) (laughs) 
Pause. So that's that's the brief <laughs> the brief history yes. of uh, of Revamp Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know we're a small. We say we're a small but mighty theater company. We're very grassroots. We've mm-hmm. been very very blessed to um, have co-productions the last two seasons with Plays and Players Theater. Right. Um, they've graciously allowed us to use their space. They've provided us some seed money and. Um, you know, we're really interested in doing things that are a little non-traditional. So our first uh, production in 2016-2017 was 12 Chairs by local playwright John O'Hara. Um, it's a really beautiful piece about the relationship between mothers and daughters, um, and it's a two-hander. So our concept uh, behind that, instead of just you know, hiring a director and two actors was to actually have six different sort of teams with a director and two actors who perform the piece in repertoire. Mm. So we actually created, was that 18 opportunities <laughs> for actors and directors? Right. Um, you know, which we were really psyched about that. Um, our last fall, um, twenty in November 2017, we did our first Artist Lab, which was uh, we paired up two theater artists, women-identified theater artists, um, and gave them a Grimm's fairy tale as source material, uh, gave them some money, and said, create something completely new. So we actually, so that was three teams working on that, um, and they each created three very different, distinct shows. Um, no, I feel really bad that I missed it. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. Like, you should um, have been there. You should have been there. Fun. It was awesome. <laughs> um, you know, and so, you know, we're sort of carrying on that um, idea of doing things a little differently with... Um, our latest uh, production, The Helen Project, which is an original uh, piece. As I said, I wrote it. It's an adaptation doesn't quite feel like the right way to describe it, but it draws on uh, The Helen of Troy myth mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, some classical Greek texts like the Trojan women and uh, the Iliad and things like that. Um, but it's another, it's an ensemble based piece. It's a, it's a cast of six women, women identified artists Um and they uh, they all play Helen at a different point mm-hmm. during the show. So it's, um, you know, another just sort of like we don't really... It has a pretty linear narrative, but just in terms of the staging of it and the concept behind it, again, like a little non-traditional, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're very interested in devising. Um, we've done shows that are interactive with the audience. So we're all sort of about, you know, pushing those, pushing the boundaries um, a bit of like what we think of as traditional theater. Bringing it all together. Bringing it all together. Yeah. So... Um what and so what inspired the Helen project? Sure. So uh, we were talking when we were talking about our season this year. And we like to sort of you know have our seasons uh, around a theme, and so the theme is that we were really interested in exploring this year was sort of like perception and um, you know what you see versus what's you know beyond behind the surface um and so we knew we wanted to do a piece that also explored body image and particularly you know for women you know how western ideals of beauty and appearance are transmitted mm-hmm. um and sort of what effect they have on people and so as we were talking about this and like coming up with different concepts we 
you know, I said, well, what if we go back to some, you know, literature that's already there? You know, we use the fairy tale for the fall show. Is there something else we could draw on for this? And immediately my thought went to, well, the face that launched a thousand ships, the most beautiful woman Mm -hmm. in history. So from there, I, you know, I went and I was reading again, a lot of like the, the ancient Greek uh, plays and poems that, that were written about the Trojan War. And I came to realize that, like, Helen, even though she's, you know, the cause of all of this, the cause of the Trojan War, uh, she's really just like a sideline character in, you know, in most of what's been written about it. And I was really interested in what's her side of the story? What is her psychology? What does it mean to be the most beautiful woman in the world? Yeah. And so it sort of went from there and, and, you know, I started thinking about modern day celebrities and like sort of putting Helen in the context of, well, you know, if this was in the present day, you know, there'd be, and you have this really beautiful, famous woman who leaves her husband for another man. It becomes like a media circus Mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie (laughs) or whatever. And so the, so the play uh, has a very sort of anachronistic feel to it uh, because Helen sort of is, you know, my Helen is sort of treated like a modern day celebrity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, so I was interested in exploring, you know, the ways that in the 21st century media is used to, again, like transmit these ideals of like what beauty is, what, how you should look, um, you know, just what the idea of celebrity and being in the public eye is. Um, And so then as, you know, as we're coming up with the concept and talking about it, we also came up with the idea of having, you know, multiple actors play Helen because it was, you know, the question of, well, how do we cast the most beautiful woman in the world? How do you, what is beauty? What is that? That's so subjective. So, you know, part of the idea was to say there's no one right or wrong way to be beautiful. And I think we have a wonderful, diverse cast of, you know, in terms of age, in terms of race and ethnicity, Mm -hmm. in terms of body type that, you know, sort of makes, you know, one of the points that we're trying to make is that, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder and it's more about what's inside of you Mm -hmm. um, than necessarily what your appearance is. Um... So, yeah, that's that's sort of where this all generated from, and it's been an interesting, you know, I guess we sort of started generating this idea back in the fall, and, um, you know, writing and playing, and, you know, now that we're in rehearsals, digging deeper, we keep coming out of rehearsals, and people are like, this place is so dense, there's so much going on, and I'm like... I mean, that's a good thing. I I know it's a challenge for our actors, but they're doing great with it. I think it's so interesting to to tackle, to use uh, the the story of Helen of Troy to to tackle this conversation of what is beauty, because when you think about it, um, as soon as we think about beauty, we're thinking about celebrity, and I immediately go back to, like, an, an award acceptance speech that Jennifer Lopez Mm. uh, gave Mm -hmm. where she thanked her glam squad. Oh, yes. She has a a team of people that make her look like Jennifer Mm -hmm. Lopez every day or Right. You know, and I, and I was thinking about that and I was like, um, but that was, that was a while ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. that might've even been like 
10 years or mm-hmm. longer ago. Yeah. But I remember she was, like, priding herself on that. And then I, I remember, like, there, there being a joke that went around. I was like, um, you kind of have to ask yourself about your your statement of beauty if you have your own line of cosmetics. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I'm not quite there, but with my line of cosmetics, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can be. And I think now um, we're starting to see, uh, so for instance, like Dove mm-hmm. and Oil of Olay mm-hmm. have really changed their um, their advertising mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. in a sense their branding mm-hmm. to show that every woman, mm-hmm. that, you know, now for them, it's like every woman uses our product. Right. So let's identify every woman mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of just showing this this wonderful woman with a beautiful arm, like mm-hmm. it's just her mm-hmm. arm because the rest of her body is not important, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and she's just moisturizing mm-hmm. that arm mm-hmm. and you're just like, if you want beautiful arms like this arm model, <laughs> you need this. And, uh, but now you're seeing so many different women of mm-hmm. different sizes and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Yes. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone has their own thing. And w- now we're starting to, um, celebrate mm-hmm. individuality when before yeah. we were thinking about who created this like foundation of yeah. what beauty is and <laughs> who, who created the standard who yeah who who's this like you know uh, person or or group of people you know i kind of envision them somewhere in a tower that they're like okay blonde hair is beautiful yeah. you know blue eyes are beautiful you know being well, this size and and you know, and it's the target's always shifting too. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a there was a thought process in modeling mm-hmm. where a model had to be five eleven. Yeah, uh, but now it's like, but wait a minute, all the people with talent are like five foot six. Yeah, well, who's it like? Who's at five eleven? Who decided? You know, who threw a dart at the wall and it landed on five eleven? They're like, okay, great, that's yeah, the standard. Like, is that with heels or without heels? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, and I mean. You know, it's it's funny because even as dense as the play is and, and uh, you know, as much as I think I crammed in there, um, I could still write, like, five more plays about mm-hmm. this one single topic because... Maybe this is a part one. It, it might be. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm really... Because we didn't even touch on, you know, one of the things that we originally talked about in our concept was, you know, not just what... Um, expectations and body ideals do for women but for men as well because you you know men also have their own set of ideals to live up to Mm -hmm. and you know uh, but it just it just didn't quite make it into this piece so i would love to you know thinking about writing a companion piece you know maybe hercules is my (laughs) (laughs) uh that would be great you know but all right um, let's let's not to not to um not to push the Helen project off the stage, but let's think about this for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part two, Actually, coming in 2019. Uh, so while I was prepping for this mm-hmm. interview, because I did another one earlier today, I started thinking about that too. And mm-hmm. it's not just women. And I feel like um, every now and then I'll hear something like, it's, it's, uh, it's the day of women mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But... Then, from my bubble, Mm -hmm. I feel like women have been Mm ever-present the whole time. Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to, or over the past couple of years, starting to understand a lot of these things that I never really looked at Mm -hmm. as problems Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, opportunities Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. us. And then I started thinking about it on the men's side, and I was like, well, what determines what I'm 
how a man is supposed to look or carry themselves. Sure. Because there is this, like, there is this, like, the rise of the dad bod. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Which is pretty much every every man who is a full-grown adult. Uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. Most, most men are a full-grown adult. And then you start thinking about, like, why... I don't understand why we had these structures on anybody. But, yes, Hercules would be good. Yeah, uh, I think... You, I think that You have to pull a... back to Greek... You always have to pull back to Greek mythology. I like the Greek mythology. I mean, I've always been... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a big fan of, of Greek mythology, and it's, and a lot, you know, this is really, and this play, you know, you don't have to necessarily know anything about Helen of Troy or the Trojan War or anything to appreciate this play, but if you do happen to know anything about Greek mythology, there's a lot of little Easter eggs mm-hmm. in it, little jokes and things that I put in there just because to amuse myself yeah. of, you know, things about, um, about ancient Greece. So, yeah, so I would love to do more of, you you know, going back into other plays or other myths. And, you know, because, again, it's all about storytelling. You know, mm-hmm. the ancient Greeks told these stories and created these myths to explain the world in much the same way we create theater and art now. Where yeah. It's always just a way to sort of explain the world, express our feelings, express our points of view. Um, the media, you know, the medium may change, but it's always the storytelling that's at the heart of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I think this could be the it could be the start of something wonderful. Yeah. Well, it is a one act. Yes. So there, you know, it's a full length one act, but yeah. yeah. But I always feel like I always feel like one acts kind of end with a maybe there's more. Sure, sure. Or this what we saw was like the pilot. Yeah. Or yeah. ultimately the beginning of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Because usually how one act ends, it ends. Not necessarily on a cliffhanger, or just sort of mm-hmm. leaves us saying, "But what about?" Sure, you know, and we're and we're moving forward, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think you know, and I think it's interesting too that you, um, what you, you know, what you said about thinking about you know where sort of women and women's stories live, and um, you know, because that also is something that's also part of this play as well is, you know, the. I think, you know, as a, as a woman, uh, there's always this sort of sense of, like, does anyone want to hear my story? Does my story... Because, you know, because there's so much that's sort of created with men in mind or created by yeah. men, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's part of where we're at in this moment of, of women stepping up and saying, like, no, my voice should be heard, my story needs to be told, and we also see Helen struggling with some of that mm-hmm. because she has been excised so much from the story, yeah. and the focus has been on Paris, or Hector, or Agamemnon, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, so that's that's also something is, that... And if she is the face that lost, launched a thousand ships, then shouldn't she be the one with control? Right, right, you would, you would think. I mean, it's, you know, it, it sort of came from this question, you know, as I was doing my research and starting to write, I'm like, so, okay, so this, this woman, you know, leaves her, is either kidnapped or goes willingly, depending on the story. And there's this war going on for 10 years about her, ostensibly, 
And I'm like, what is she doing? She's just sitting there like, yeah, that's fine. Just keep dying over me. Like, it didn't... I'll be over here looking for Yeah, like, it just didn't compute. And that's sort of (laughs) where, you know, the the story started. I was like, okay, I need to, like, explain this and figure this out for myself. And who is this woman? And and what was she doing? And just, yeah, um, just just give her some agency. Uh, I can imagine the the layers, though, because I'm sure that there is a surface, mm-hmm, Ellen, mm-hmm. and then there's the inside of, sure. you know, what she protects mm-hmm. from the world. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's quite possible that what we've, uh, what we have in, mm-hmm. in history mm-hmm. is really what she gave us. Sure, sure. Uh, because the, her true self, or or the most vulnerable parts of who she is... Mm-hmm were she protected Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean and there's also and you know all of these you know plays or poems or whatever i mean they were all written by men so there's you know so there's that aspect of it too i mean it's uh yeah and i think having you know there's like i said there's just a lot that goes into this and a lot to explore um and I'm really excited uh, to, so, to be doing that. So talk about the women. Sure, sure. <laughs> the, the, uh, that make up the piece. Yeah. Because so, if you go to the website, first of all, the website's great. Oh, thank and, you. I didn't uh, design it, but thank you. <laughs> and, the, you know, all the headshots of the women are just like, I think we need to step up our headshot game here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're yes. They're yeah. just the greatest photos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have a, a fantastic cast of some of the, the best female talent in Philly, I think, Leslie Berkowitz, uh, Hannah Hamill, Donovan Lockett, Ontaria Kim Wilson, Casey Phillips, and Marisol Custodio. Um, you know, they're all, so they play, uh, so they, as I said, they all play Helen. They also play all the male roles too. So there mm. are male and female roles in the show they play. So they're playing Paris, Menelaus, um, goddesses and gods, mm. um, so it's it's a very uh yeah they're they're just doing some rock star work cuz they <laughs> all play multiple roles and there's it's um it's also a very physical show there's a lot of movement we're mm. using a lot of movement um we're doing uh rather than having any kind of sound design or sound effects all of the sound is foley sound mm. um which uh shout out to Darren Dunstan oh, who wow, is okay. our foley consultant uh for the show we'll hear so again magic. yeah we'll, we'll hear again radio man radio project magic Great. um um, so yeah, so they're they're doing they're playing all the parts, they're making all the sound, they're they're doing all the things, and uh, you know we're we're just I think very lucky to we've worked with some of these artists before. Leslie's work, Leslie was one of the artists who did um, the Artist Lab in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donovan was in a show in the fall. Um, uh, we have Ontario directed for us in our ten minute play festival this past winter. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think Marisol, Casey, and Hannah, we haven't worked with as part of Revamp before, but we know them from other projects and other things, so, um. So, uh, what's it like in the rehearsal room? We have a really great rehearsal process, and and I also want to give a shout-out to uh, our associate director, Joan Lawson, um, and our stage manager, Gray Rogers. Um, You know, we run, Carly and Joan run a very sort of, um, uh, open, safe, 
rehearsal room where actors have permission to play and try things and you know Carly's way of directing is just very organic like Mm -hmm. we're just gonna put it up on its feet and like move around and like however feels whatever feels right let's let's find find it yeah we spend we spent a lot of time talking um you know just exploring you know who the characters are who Helen is at any point in the script what the other characters are doing sort of figuring out what it all means um so yeah it's you know being in the rehearsal room is one of my favorite parts of the process because writing is very lonely you know I'm in my garret with my sputtering candle uh unless you're in a storefront window (laughs) right right (laughs) being shown off but that's not very often yeah um (laughs) you know so uh, you know it's fun but it can be lonely um and you know being I always feel like once once I give it to the actors and the director um, and they just find so much, they just sort of fill in all the gaps. They find all these wonderful things that I, you know, couldn't, couldn't have even thought of, which is why I love theater, which is why I love this collaborative art form, because it really does take a village to make a play and make a really good play. Um, so, you know, so we've been having some really fun rehearsals we're again as i said with through plays and players we're lucky enough to actually be rehearsing in the space where we're performing yeah, that's which great is always the best um so yeah it's and next to the bar right we're and then and, and now that's the only downside <laughs> is that i end up spending too much money and staying way too late at quigs every after every, i'm like i'm just gonna have one i just have one quick year and then the next thing i know it's like midnight and i'm like oh i gotta I go think to work every, in the morning i think everyone has a quig story which is great <laughs> yeah yeah but you know that is also one of the benefits of, of performing there is that if you mm-hmm. come see the show, Quigs will be open after. You can hang out. It's a relaxed have a atmosphere. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Plays and Players is, is a great space. And, you know, shout out to Linda, um, the, the board president. She's mm-hmm. just a, a wonderful, wonderful woman um, who... Was <laughs> we're like you know frantically sending us. Do you have this? Do you have that? Can we do this? And she's always wonderful, taking care of us. So, you know, the description of this piece mm-hmm. is interesting on itself. Mm-hmm. But, um, what presented and uh, what presented the sense of urgency for you and for Revamp mm. to do this type of piece now? I mean, I think uh, you know, like I said. As, you know, as women, um, you know, women who have dealt with their own type of body image issues, um, you know, throughout our, throughout our lives, there's, you know, doing something that, and, and doing something that addressed that was very important to us, both on a personal level, and also just looking at, you know, sort of what's, else is being produced and we're like there's not really a lot out there that's addressing this specific topic you Mm -hmm. know as as we're sort of seeing the shift in marketing and media um but you know also still we're also seeing that you know because of the rise of social media and the sort of um you know projected image that people are encouraged to create there's also been a rise in eating disorders and young women and men like younger and younger Mm -hmm. um so you know we just felt like the time was really right to sort of write something and produce something uh that that addressed this topic and like i said um you know since the uh play also addresses sort of like women's agency and a woman's right to tell her their story you know there's also a lot of that happening in the zeitgeist too i mean this play doesn't necessarily 
go into the hashtag me too movement or anything like that but it's still that sort of you know idea of women are reclaiming their right to tell their own stories yeah well that's really great uh, <laughs> and and again like i was saying we're in we're in this bubble where mm-hmm. we where we're fortunate here in philadelphia to um witness on stage uh the talents of mm-hmm. many wonderful women yeah you know oh, so yeah. we walk out of that theater going i don't really see right what's the problem <laughs> yeah no but it's, it's, it's true not, it's not just here i mean just mm-hmm. because we're aware of it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everywhere mm-hmm. is aware of it and then and then you know i don't even know what the what the square how many feet from the theater we have to go before we start factoring in the rest of society comes crashing down yeah, on you, and yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why this matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, okay, so I can't just say I had a good night of theater. I have to say I had a good night of theater, and you should go, you know, right. to my coworker or to my friend or the, or whoever mm-hmm, I'm going to go meet mm-hmm. up with now because in this moment, in this bubble mm-hmm. I was in, you know, I might have felt like, isn't it a great time to be alive? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is such a great space. But we have to we have to kinda we have to let everybody else in on this. Well too. and that's I mean and that's one of the things that's important to revamp because it's important to all of us as individual artists, myself and Carly and Aaron and, and Meg, is this idea of, of theater being something that engages and educates and not just entertains. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it should entertain, that's that's part of it, but um you know, we really want to, we have a platform. We are lucky. We, we have this platform. We want to use it. And, you know, we don't want our audiences just sort of sitting there, you know, the sort of like, oh, okay, this is nice. This is fun. You know, okay. And then get up and walk out and just mm-hmm. forget about whatever they saw and go about their, their night. Um, entertainment as escapism is important and there's a place for that and there's a lot of places that do it wonderfully and I like going to see a musical as much as anybody else that's (laughs) where I got my start in theater but the theater that I'm creating the theater that we're creating we're like no it's it's we want to do something more with it and we want people to you know walk out of the show and think about like okay well what is you know what does this mean to me how have I you know, maybe perpetuated some unhealthy stereotypes about what women should look like, or how can I, you know, how can I talk to my daughter about this? There's a lot in the play Mm -hmm. about relationships between mothers and daughters and how, you know, the certain, the way you look at your body might be taught to you by the way your mother looks at her body, you know? And so, so how do I, how does that work? Um, So yeah, just this idea that people are enjoying themselves and entertained but it it stays with them and you know maybe be something that just spurs them to think about themselves or their life or their interactions differently Mm -hmm. uh so you you do have the luxury being in the skinner studio Mm -hmm. to have the bar Mm -hmm. uh will there be talkbacks or do you just envision the conversation carrying over to the bar. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we don't have any formal talkback scheduled as of right now. That could change. Um, 
Uh, we do have about two more weeks until we open, and yeah. uh, we're you know we're, we're we're a little bit fly by the seat of our pants uh, sometimes with things. I'm um, on my producer hat. Yeah, how not, many uh, talk bags? I'm like, oh, okay, talk bags. Yeah, we should schedule those. Uh, but you know, but at the very you know if if. Even if that doesn't happen, I mean, we do, you know, you can come over to the bar and have a drink and talk with, you know, we're there every night pretty much because that's the producers. Yeah. <laughs> we're also the house staff, um, you know, or the actors. Um, so, yeah, um, we we definitely, you know, there's, I know there's also, a, you know, we're, we're very, we're very approachable. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to ask earlier is uh, about the about the process, mm-hmm. um, because there was the the comment about how dense it is because mm-hmm. there's so much of this mm-hmm. there's so much of this mythology yeah. to sift through. Um, when you got into the rehearsal process, mm-hmm. did you find yourself uh, trimming the fat? Um, there, I, there was there was trimming. Um, so the so we had a read through in early April of sort of the first draft, and I got feedback for that and went and made some cuts and made some changes um, uh, before we started rehearsals at the beginning of May. Um, and we've made some small changes, not not a lot. I mean, it's it's dense but i i think for how dense it is it's pretty i mean it's like i said it's one act it's 90 minutes no intermission um i'm not a particularly precious playwright in terms of like if they come to me and say you know this line's really not working or i Mm -hmm. you know i'm like change it what do you what 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 makes it better for you you know um as I'm, I'm just still putting my name on it. Yeah, That's I'm still great. putting my name on it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like as long as you're not changing the gist of you know the the, the thesis of the thing. Like I yeah. change words around, cut words, and you're laying out a, a very solid blueprint. And the fact that there are even ideas uh, that counter or complement mm-hmm. what you've already laid out mm-hmm. means that you've done some great work anyway. I, I hope I so. Don't think, I don't think anybody ever. I, I don't think many people think about it like that. They just kind of say, no, it's my way. This is just somebody trying to shoehorn their ideas into Yeah, I know. No, it's saying, you did such a great job here. What about, you know, it's like you built on this foundation. Yeah. It's kind of like if you've, if you've got this diving board mm-hmm. and you're, you're standing on the edge yeah. and you're like, what if we jumped into that water? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly don't know everything about everything, um, you know. Even with an MFA? Even with an MFA. <laughs> Uh, you know, I always, I, you know, I write this thing and I give it to people. I'm like, this might not make any earthly sense to anyone else. Um, so I'm always just really, I think that's the thing. I'm just always really excited when people read the work and, and, you know, understand what I'm trying to say or find their own sort of interpretation or their own meaning in it. Um, you know, that's, that to me is the point is not to say this is, you know, my, uh, statement is, you know, the end all be all most truthful thing. I'm like, I don't know. My truth may not be somebody else's truth and that's okay. Yes. <laughs> like I'm fine with that. Um, so I, I think we actually did talk a little bit about urgency mm-hmm. and I usually close with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was going to, instead, uh, I was going to ask you, 
what um, what valuable lesson did you learn mm. in the MFA program? If you could, if you could give us one one thing you uh, learned oh, sure. in the playwriting program at Temple. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for me, it was it was valuable to here's here's the most here's the most valuable thing I think I learned. Samuel Beckett is not the enemy. <laughs> and I say that because uh, when I started the MFA program, I was very rooted in realism. I was very rooted in, like, everything just has to be, like, linear narrative and, like, very straightforward. And uh, we had a class, um, I think it was this, my second or third year in the program, um, with, it was fo- the whole class was entirely focused on Beckett and Bertolt Brecht. And it sort of just blew my whole world up of like, you know, I, I definitely consider Brecht a major influence now as very much a not nice dude. Like, uh, but as far as his plays go, the, the whole idea of the, you know, sort of distancing the audience and alienating the audience from the subject matter to make a point rather than just hitting them over the head with it really appealed to me as I became more interested in writing work that addressed like social justice issues um and so i think just having that freedom to be like it can be weird you cannot it's okay if the audience doesn't totally understand what's going on that's part of what theater is that's part of what makes theater interesting and exciting um and you know just just having that exposure which you know I may have gotten around to reading Beckett and Brecht at some point in my life otherwise, but, mm-hmm. like, I wasn't interested in it, so I probably yeah. wouldn't have done it on my own, and I think it really, you know, I don't think I would have been able to write a play like this, like the Helen Project, where, you know, it's it's technically set in ancient Greece, but there's Twitter and photos and media. Yeah. You know those things without without taking that class and realizing that I could step away from the very realistic, naturalistic type mm-hmm. of theater that I was, you know, most comfortable writing. Hmm. So it just pushed me out of my comfort zone. So now you're a professional writer. <laughs> I mean, yes, at least yes. As, let's go with that. <laughs> at least as far as the the paperwork. Goes. Yeah, the pay. I have the I have the the, the diploma on my wall. <laughs> Uh, so that's my credential. Can you or do you write for recreation? And uh, when you do, what does that look like? Mm. Um, I do. I, I mean, do you just find yourself uh, like like for me? I'm on a train long enough. Uh-huh. I will pull out notes, and mm-hmm. I you know have to have to get these thoughts out. In oh, front of sure. Them. I mean, journaling <laughs> definitely. Um, I also you know typically have you know scattered bits of plays or things around. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm at any given time have like three or four ideas that I just need to like sit down and actually write. Um, I've also been getting more into comedy Same. writing. So I don't feel bad. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> um, I've also been getting into comedy writing. I've mm-hmm. uh, started doing some stand-up. Um, cool. So that's uh, that's another sort of, uh, you know, tangent that my writing has gone on. So that's a lot of just, like, you know, writing down my observations and then, you know, making them funny. So there's a, so I have... I'm showing Darnell my big my big notebook, uh, which is a big orange binder that I carry around with me. It's that a has different. Keeper. It's a trapper keeper. I don't even know where she got a trapper keeper. Uh, and it has different <laughs> sections for all my different types of writing. Um, Great. So yeah, I mean, when I applied to the MFA program, 
when I was applying to MFA programs, I think I said in my essay, is like, I'm a writer because I don't know how not to be. Mm-hmm. I've been writing. I decided when I was 10 that I was going to be a writer. Yeah. Not necessarily a playwright, but just I'm going to be a writer. And mm-hmm. so that was 23 years ago, and I just I don't know how to not do it now. So <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I always, um, whenever I have the opportunity, I, I love to... I love to hear these bits and pieces from other writers mm-hmm. because I think there are people that are kind of in their head about what they need to do in order to say that they're a writer right. or be a writer. And to hear that, you know, we have so many celebrated writers in this community who are self-taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and But then we also have writers like yourself mm-hmm. who... Who um, who have uh, you know went to grad school and mm-hmm. really focused in on it, and what we find is that everybody has a different way of sort of finding their way through. Yeah, yeah. And no way is incorrect. No, that's absolutely right. I was just going to say, there's no right or wrong way to be a writer, and you know. I remember, like, when I was going to grad school, I was telling people that I was going to get my MFA in playwriting, and they were like, well, do you need to do that to be a playwright? (laughs) I'm like, no, I don't, but for me personally, it's the right thing to do. You know, I hadn't focused on, like I said, I had thought that I was going to be a novelist and then a journalist, and by the time I got around to realizing that, like, playwriting was what I really wanted to focus on, I just felt like, you know, I I need this really intense study of this art form if I'm really going to possibly go anywhere with it. And and despite what Darnell thinks, having a master's does not necessarily make me a master of play. <laughs> I still have so much to learn. Uh, and that's She's the thing. She's a master of playwriting. And that's the thing, like, <laughs> you know, with any kind of art form, whether it's writing or uh, acting or dancing or music, like, you're always going to learn new things. You're, you should always mm-hmm. be working to improve. And the method might be different. There's tons of great playwriting classes in this city through Playpen, through um, through other organizations. I've taken pla- I took classes with Playpen. That's sort of what got me into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you're like, yeah, I don't want to take the time and spend the money to get a master's, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't be a successful playwright. Getting a master's doesn't mean that you will be a successful playwright. You can also just read plays. You can read. Uh, I mean, going see, to see plays see is the best plays. way to learn. Like. Yes. Really, really and truly. And, and I mean, I think, you know, going and studying in, like, a master's program gives you really the tools to sort of talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes a play good or bad or, you know, what works in a play, what doesn't work in a play. Um, but, yeah, I've learned more from seeing bad theater <laughs> than, than anything. So you go out and you're like, okay, so this is what, so it was the script. Or the script was fine, but the direction was not great. Yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, or I've learned that it's a black box for a reason. And yeah. If you're not going to embrace that you're in a black box, then you have to really put some production value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, because you can't, you can't do a, can't do a black box show sort of halfway Mm-mm. or else it's just, you know, your message is going to be missed. You can't, but you can't, can't hide anything. You can't hide anything in a black box, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think that's something, you know, one other thing that I want to say about the Helen project that I think we're really sort of embracing and playing with, with the Helen project is. So for those of you listeners who are familiar with the Skinner Cedar plays and players, we are doing the show in the round. Hmm. So Ooh. yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never been up there in the round. Yeah. I mean, maybe 
I know. I think um, Oleana was done way back when. Uh, I was kind of in the round. The, there was, um, was oh god, what was the fringe? There was a fringe show last in last year's fringe that did it in the round, and I'm blanking on the name of the show and the company. Um, but yeah, so there's going to be some like. Well, you know what? Come and see for yourself what it's like. I'm not going to describe it to you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's in the round. It's, like it's just, it's in the round. It's in a circle. Yeah. It's in, there's, yeah. So the, so the playing space is sort of in the middle and, you, and there's going to be seating all around and in the sort of, you know, sort of taking our cue from Greek theater. Um, it's a very simple set. It's just blocks. Um, so all, uh, you know, all of the action is, you know, happening very intimately. And, uh, yeah, because the last year our show uh, that we did, um, Jimmy Gorski is Dead, which was another play that I wrote, Mm -hmm. um, that had a very, it was set in an apartment, and we basically built an apartment in the Skinner studio, (laughs) and it was beautiful, Raven Buck designed our set, it was amazing, Uh, but... Uh, it was a pain in the beep to uh, break that down and carry all of the pieces oh, down, down to the basement of plays and players. Stairs. And I said to Carly, never again, like our next show, just simple set. Yeah. Uh, so that's what Chairs we got. Chairs and boxes. Chairs and boxes. That's it. <laughs> Chairs and boxes. Uh, that's, that's the way to do it. But um, yeah. All right. I'm not well, sure where, what questions that no, started no, with. <laughs> well, uh, the production is the Helen Project. Yep. Uh, it is on stage at Plays and Players Theater in the Skinner Studio upstairs mm-hmm. next to the bar. And uh, it is running at the first half of June. Yes. Yeah, so June, June 5th, 5th is a pay-what-you-can preview. Mm-hmm. We open June 6th, and then and we run the through 16th. June 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get more information, all the specific days and times at revampcollective.com. Um, yeah, tickets are $20 general admission, 15 for students, seniors, and industry. Great. And, uh, Kristen, I, um, I, I can remember back, uh, I think we were, we were at some sort of discussion at Plays and Players. Mm-hmm. It was about a book. I think it it was either the art of governance or I think it was outrageous fortune. Outrageous it fortune. It was outrageous yes. fortune. It was what's yes, his name? Was. Todd. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm seeing the book. Yeah, I Got have dice it. On the yeah, book. yeah, yeah. But I remember uh, we were walking home mm-hmm. and the idea of you should do a podcast with playwrights oh uh, yeah came up from there and Mm -hmm. i i went home so excited about that (laughs) and i was so glad to have you as a contributor to rep radio and i'm glad that you were here to lay that foundation because uh because even uh later on when i sort of merged all the channels into Mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. i was still i still had a structure from all of that where i was identifying there's a whole lot of conversation to be had with local playwrights. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure we're doing that and not just talking to, say, the lead actor of a play. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's so much about direction and vision that I want to talk to with directors. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about design that really helps us, uh, you know, escape into the world that we're going to be in for mm-hmm. this next two hours or, mm-hmm. or longer, depending. And, uh, yeah, so all of that 
was so great. So thank, <laughs> thank you for helping us lay the foundation there. Uh, there are still tags for inside the writer's <laughs> mind in here. And sometimes I will audibly say, you know, I'm here with them. So we're going to get inside, inside the, writer's the writer's mind, mind. of so and so. And uh, yeah, so we're here, like, this is episode 510 wow, or something like that. Wow. And uh, it was only until I started counting that I realized that I can't find the first 100 episodes. Oh, no! <laughs> well, I know where they are. They're oh, on, okay. They're on a damaged hard drive. Oh, These are, like, okay. growing pains. This is, you know, yeah. I was on the, t- I was on the very, at the very beginning of, like, this it wasn't even a boom when we started mm-hmm. web radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was learning. It was like, I, okay, we recorded this now. What? Yeah. So I remember having in my head that I'm going to give it a week because I need to stress about it for four days <laughs> before I figure out how to put this together and put it out. Mm-hmm. And then got a little better about the timeline, got a little better about the flow, started thinking about how to, if I want to minimize editing, I've got to steer this conversation yeah. in such a way that I don't have to cut. Yeah. You know, and I, I, and I thought about, you know, the difference between having a conversation before I've seen a show and having conversation mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. because those are different conversations. Absolutely. Uh, the first one's all about discovery and the second one's about sort of reflection and kind mm-hmm. of... I have now factored in the rest of society after mm-hmm. I've experienced this piece. So the conversation I'm having now is speaking more about relevance mm-hmm. than it is about, you know, the who, what, where, why, and when. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've learned a whole lot from all of this, and I think all of you helped me get there. I've always <laughs> looked at Rep Radio as a master class <laughs> for myself, uh-huh. and I I hope that uh, the listeners are learning things from all of this, too, and not just saying, oh, I love Kristen. <laughs> I love Kristen. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yes, so. I, I'm, I was, you know, very, very happy to be a part of it, <laughs> and glad, you know, I, like, the fact that you asked me to do this. I had some interviewing experiences. I, you know, worked uh, worked in TV and, and in a newspaper, but I knew zero about pod. I was like, what's a podcast? Like, they're just like, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm like, what's that? I don't know what podcasts it's are. Like a radio show. Uh, but oh, it's on the internet. And like, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, but it was, you know, I met, I mean, I think it, I think it helped. Uh, it, it certainly got me in the room and introduced me to a lot of, you know, people in Philadelphia, great yeah. Writers, great directors, yeah. um, and it was just—it was a lot of fun. I definitely feel like I have better conversations now, and mm-hmm. there are times where I can feel myself slipping into interview mode. <laughs> like, I, I was—I uh, was talking to um, uh, Rebecca Sassy mm-hmm. uh, before she left Walnut Street Theater, or like right at, after she left Walnut Street Theater, and she was in the theater mm-hmm. uh, attending the next show. And I was just talking to her about, like, how's a new job and everything. And I immediately went into interview <laughs> mode. What do you miss the most about Walnut? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to Yeah, take, like, I'm seriously, not trying to what do you miss I mean, the I'm most? curious. I don't have a recording. I mean, and that's what, you know, that's what makes a good interviewer's curiosity. It's yeah. just, you know, being able to say, well, what, what do I want to know? What do I think other people might want to know? Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and just going from there. And we got to, we got to, uh, we were on the red carpet. We got to get all that fancy a couple times. That was super fun. And yeah. I, I still, I still laugh at the fact that, 
you know, I was running around making sure we were all comfortable and doing mm-hmm. all the right things that I couldn't realize that we had just done a short interview with Terrence McNally. Right, or right. Or Anna DeVere Smith or Mare Nutter or Tony Danza. Yeah, you know? all these like, people were like, I was, I was like, oh, I should like appreciate this for like, yeah. you know, stop and like really appreciate the fact that, yeah, the Terrence McNally standing right there and, yeah. um, you know, yeah, that was about now, so like fun. With the, uh, um, I was recently talking about the F. Otto Haas Award mm-hmm. for Emerging Theater Artists mm-hmm. and uh, how we had a focus on trying to have conversations with all those nominees. Yeah. And um, and uh, I think back in, was it 2010, we had interviewed Rob McClure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. To see Rob McClure be so successful now, yeah. like just finishing the tour of Something Rotten. Uh-huh. I was like, wait a minute. We have a recording of that. <laughs> yeah, we know that guy before they were famous. Guy. Yeah, I uh, I He's saw him um, actually when he was in Honeymoon in Vegas on Broadway. Yes, I went yes. to see that because mm-hmm. um, my my friend was like, "Yeah, this guy like he used to work at the Walnut." And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Did you ever think that people that you sort of grew up with and and kind of in your career, um, in, and in this community would just mm-hmm. rise to that level? Where you're just like, wait, I know that person. It's funny because, you know, because, and the thing that I love about Philly is, you know, people are so humble and there's, you know, even these incredibly talented people and, you know, so, so, you know, there's, there's none of this like, well, I'm a celebrity, you know, or I'm going to be a celebrity and like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not worth my time. Like, so, so I don't think about it, you know, when I'm interacting with people, um, but I mean, like. You know, James Zimes is like in the New York Times, yes. and you know, I'm like, I've sat at Quigs and had yeah. drinks with James. You know, people are humble and approachable, and so it just makes you when they, you know, hit the, you know, hit that success. I think it just makes for me. It just makes me really happy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, this is, and it and it gives me a little. I'm like, okay, maybe I can make it too someday. <laughs> you I'm know, like the just, New York <laughs> Times was come came down to Broad Street was yeah. talking to like you know the hot house right, right, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know these people. I know these people. Like, <laughs> and here they I are see these people. people know who I am. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so it's just it's really it's really exciting. Um, uh, and it, it, you know, it makes me proud to to be a part of this community. Yeah. Um, you know, who's which is doing really great work. And just being a part of the, the legacy of of various pieces of our community too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. plays and players has had a long history. Yeah. Yeah. Over over a hundred years. Over a hundred years, yeah, like the longest running years. community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and every time I walk into that space, and I go, oh, I remember. I remember being a torchbearer. Uh-huh. I remember uh, working behind the bar at Quigs. Yep. I remember being up in the in the cats. Oh yeah. I remember being out on the fire escape. There was probably a day I might have been on the roof. I may have been oh, up there. I haven't been on the roof yet. <laughs> um, well, the, the funny, my my most memorable rep radio interview was actually in Plays and Players. Jeff Stanley and I were um, got his Ouija board out, and on the main stage at like midnight, we're trying to contact ghosts oh, in Plays and Players. Fun. It was, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a, it's a great. I'm gonna have building. to think about some cool things to audibly do this season Mm -hmm. like that because yeah there were actually we had a lot of fun times at plays and players yeah um 
the uh, William Shakespeare's Land of the Dead. We oh, covered, yeah, yeah. Uh, we covered the closing party, I think, and it was just loud and crazy. <laughs> and Chris and I are walking around with microphones just talking to everybody, yep. and it was just such a madness. Like, if you're not here, you're missing out. Right, like, right. Chanting and everything. Ah, oh, yeah, it's so great. It's yeah. I feel like that. I mean, we're like I said, we're really lucky to be there, and it and it is sort of just like this little hub of theater activity. Yeah. Um. You know, you never know who you're going to run into. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, so it's it's a very it's a very special place, and we're really lucky to to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, Kristen, it was a pleasure. Uh, chatting with you about Revamp and the Helen Project. It's been great catching up. Yes, it's a great Don't be a stranger. I always see you out. And, um, you know, definitely let's have more conversations about yeah. your art and just in general about yeah. things going on. I'm um, always yes. up for a good chat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's the Helen Project, uh, Revamp Collective, Plays and Players Theater at Skinner Studio, June 6th through the 16th. You can get information at revampcollective.com. I'll put that on the website. And uh, you always want to buy two tickets because theater is more fun with a plus one. (laughs) (laughs) Kristen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. For for being on the other side of the microphone this time. (laughs) Thank you. Radio continues to be inspired by our community and listeners like you. You can support our work through our fiscal sponsor, Fractured Atlas, and through our Patreon page. Visit repradio.org slash donate for more. Stay tuned. You know the rest.